Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, my name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at the Village Church. And as the screen says, today is Vision Sunday. Um, on a typical Vision Sunday, what I would do is get up and I would get, share with you um, where we're going for the year. I would share with you some of our major goals. Um, the hope for you is that you would look at those things and you would see them rooted in Scripture. You would see them as a good thing. And then I would share with you a strategy, how we're going to get from where we are to where we're going. And so so this Vision Sunday is going to be very different. Um, we're still going to talk about vision, but we're going to do this in a very different way. To get us going, I, need, I just need to let you know, before we jump into the Word, i got to set some context with you. For now, you can open, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 39, but we're going to get there in a bit, so now you can be ready as soon as we get there. I want to define the word strategy for you. Uh, strategy is simple in a concept. It's basically an attainable pathway. That's what strategy is. And it's a pathway between two things. It's a pathway between number one, our present reality, to a preferred future. This is what you call vision. So when somebody shares with you a strategy, the hope is that it is an attainable pathway from where you currently are to where you're going. So in November, I did a three-week series called Together, where I shared with you our 2021-2022 vision. And just to give you the summary statement, um, everything that we do from top to bottom, we are laser beam focusing on equipping and building the village church to be disciples, to be followers of Christ. That is our singular objective. And we are continually restructuring and focusing so that Everything we do goes to that end. I also share with you our twofold strategy. Again, there's a lot behind this, but I'm going to give you the high level um, um, uh, topics here. Number one is individual discipleship. We want to make sure every single person in this church who walks through the doors of our church physically or digitally has the ability to take whatever next step Jesus has for them. You may have been walking with the Lord for six decades. Is the Lord done with you? No. You might be, you might be searching um, and you might want to take a next step, and we want to make sure individually we're able to help you take that next step. And the second aspect that we're focusing on is digital discipleship. There's a lot more to come on that, um, but there's a lot we're going to be doing, and you're going to start seeing stuff unfold in February and uh, throughout the rest of the year. So this morning what I want to do is actually I actually want to talk about the other part of this, which is our present reality. That's what I want to talk about. Because whatever ideas we have, whatever vision we have, whatever strategy we give, it has to take into consideration what's actually going on. So from where I sit, technically stand in the moment, there is one big theme that I think best describes what most of us have gone through in 2020 to various degrees. And I think understanding this theme is going to be essential if together the vast majority of us are going to pursue following Jesus individually, let alone following Jesus as a church. I'm talking about individually. I think we need to get our heads around this theme. And it may not be a theme you expect. In fact, um, it may even be a theme that many of you, especially if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you may strongly and personally resist. You're like, Pastor Michael, tell us the theme. Just wait, I'll get there. If I'm being honest, which I'm trying to be, uh, I have found this theme evidenced with and in the majority of people I talk with if we get past superficialities. So here are a few ways I've seen this mysterious theme evidenced. Here's one. 
I've seen it evidenced through understandable anxiety. Your body is turning on you. Your mind is turning on you. Your emotions are turning on you. Here's some common things um, I've heard people say. I'm not sure how to pay my bills. Can my kids handle online education? Will I get a job? Will I keep a job? And I could go on and on and on. Some have evidenced this theme through understandable anger. Marriage tensions. Don't nudge your wife or your children at that point. Family tensions. Political tensions. Unmet expectations. Here are just some things I've heard people say. Magical three words. I can't believe. And then whatever follows that is usually indicative of some anger statements. I can't believe what our country has come to. I can't believe the decisions they are making. I can't believe the way they are responding. I could go on, but we'll keep moving forward. Some have evidenced this theme through understandable skepticism, conspiracy theories about, some of which will probably prove to be true, not knowing who to trust, fake news, the election was rigged, and so on. Some have evidenced this theme through understandable fear. Will I die? I can't tell you how many times that question has been asked. Will I kill others if I give them the virus? Are my parents okay? Can I see my grandparents? Can my grandparents or parents survive in a home without me? Can America survive this? Should I get a gun? So before we say the theme, could we just take a moment and could we observe the list? Now I want to ask you, would you humor me for a moment? I would like to take a picture of you. Uh, I would say smile. (laughs) That would be a bad joke. And I want to take this picture and I would like to... Put it on the screen. Now we're going to do a little test. I'm going to email this picture. And in a while, it'll show up. You're like, Michael, is this really going to work? I believe it will. All right. Emailed. So what if one year ago today, I stood here and told you that almost everyone I know, even the entire world, would be experiencing the highest levels in recent history of global anxiety, anger, skepticism, fear. What would you conclude if I stood here a year ago and said the world was going to experience these on levels they've never experienced before? What would you conclude happened? Something big and something bad. Now, whatever you define the big bad, has something big happened? You can affirm something big has happened. And has something bad happened? The answer is, oh, for sure. Actually, multiple and repeated big and bad things have happened, and it has been relentless. Anybody feel that way? One thing after another. Okay, so what if one year ago I told you that church was going to look like this picture? Now, is it ready? I believe it is. Three. It's going to be a long countdown. Two. Holly's got it. There we go. If you, if you told me a year ago, everybody would be in masks. People were not allowed to be more than six feet together unless they're part of a family unit. Uh, this would be max capacity in a service. If I were to go back into the kids' wing, uh, there would be no kids' ministry this morning in there. And even when there was, there wouldn't be more than 20 or 30 kids on a given Sunday morning. It would only be in one service. Would you assume that something big and something bad has happened? All right, now to the, the theme that I have observed. And as you see the theme on the screen, yes, it is spelled right. Trauma. 
it's become overwhelmingly apparent that whatever strategy and vision we have, that if collectively and individually we don't actually face this in our own personal lives, your discipleship of Jesus will be massively stunted. So I need to take a moment, I actually, to prep us for Luke 22, I need to actually take a moment and just give you a little bit of an overview so we are on the same page of what trauma is. Number one, trauma is a spectrum. For most of you, you have not experienced what we call big T trauma in 2020. You've experienced a series of little t traumas. So the human mind has a breaking point, and this is the point where you hit, where you are not equipped to deal with something peacefully and skillfully. Uh, It's this point where you kind of stop functioning well or semi-well. So when you think about a breaking point, you think about maybe a fracture, right? Uh, A hairline fracture can apparently happen after numerous small traumatic events to a certain part of the body, and eventually little cracks start to form. And if you have a hairline fracture, what do you do? You eventually go to the doctor, and they'll give you a plan. Sometimes you have these events where in just a singular moment, something breaks. And in that moment, what you do is you go to the emergency room and God willing, you'll be in and out in a day and they'll have a good plan for you to recover. You'll get a cast, maybe some other things, therapy, et cetera. Um, There are bigger moments where maybe you're in a car accident and you have multiple breaks and you end up staying in the hospital for long periods of time. These are just different levels, metaphorically speaking, of physical trauma to compared to psychological trauma. Some events... They're just so powerful in your life. These are the big T traumas that you just stop working. Your body reacts, your mind and your body stop working together. And this is very real. And there have been a handful of you, even in this room, who have had big T traumas in 2020. Some traumatic events, though, they're smaller. And it's like, okay... That's a big deal, but I can deal with it. But then another thing happens, and then another thing happens. And then the domino effect of these, and you have one small T trauma after another. Now, here's, here's the deal. You are designed to deal with trauma. We are durable creatures, are we not? We can overcome most anything. I think that human beings are amazing. We're made in the image of God. We are overcomers. But there does get to a point where small T trauma after small T trauma and thing after thing after thing accumulates and small fractures begin to happen. And if I'm being honest, what I am watching in almost everyone I talk to is the accumulation of small T traumas. And here's the deal. You don't even know when it's happening. And then what happens when you start to feel a little bit of pain? You put some ibuprofen on it, you numb it, you work through it, not knowing it's just kind of slowly growing and getting worse until you decisively deal with it. And so what I am finding, even as I talk with people through the month of December, and we're looking at the new year, and we're looking at all these things, that this this latent trauma is real. And here's what I know about Christians. Even though the Christian and Jewish history is so amazing at facing difficulty and grief and trauma head on, like we are supposed to be and historically have been some of the best at this. Modern day American evangelical Christians, we stink at sadness, grief, trauma, all of the above when it comes to anything but our physical bodies. So second, trauma is a result of unexpected and severe loss. Here's one definition that I appreciate. Psychological trauma is a result of one or more distressing events which caused overwhelming amounts of stress that exceeded the person's ability to cope. Now, most of you in this room, you're like, I'm awesome. I'm coping. And your spouse is like, no, you're not. 
No, you're not. <laughs> your children are like, you're not okay, dad. Mom, you're not okay. Your parents are looking at you and be like, hmm, this is a big deal. Your kids are in online education and they are struggling and they are staring at a screen all day. I mean, let's just be honest. When we talk to any counselor, their practices are booming. You know why they're booming? Well, thank God most people are becoming aware that they're not okay and they're actually trying to figure out how to get okay. It's actually a really amazing thing. I'm giving you a very, very, very high level of this concept of trauma, but let's just talk about two different kinds here. Acute trauma, this results from a single stressful or dangerous event. And then there's chronic trauma, which I think is what we're experiencing, the results from repeated prolonged exposure to highly stressful events. Traumatic experiences deserve, nay, require grieving. For some of you, this concept of grieving is immature. I don't know how you can read the Bible and you can possibly come to that conclusion, but for most American Christians, this is an idea that when there's pain or loss, we shove it down and we have to act like we're better than we are. So here's what happens. You have a bunch of overcompensating Christians, many of whom have not dealt with the reality of what they have lost in 2020. We're shoving it down and we're just going to face this new year. We're going to conquer it. We're going to take it over because I'm awesome and there's nothing I can't do. So let me just ask you a question. I think this is a very helpful exercise for you to consider. What have you lost in 2020? Let me tell you what mature people do. Spiritually and emotionally mature people are aware of their losses. Typically, they document them so they can actually see their progress. So like, let me give you a couple of categories. Have you lost a loved one, especially to COVID? In the summer, one of my first mentors, a man I lived with for four summers, um, he died after fighting for about six weeks. He died of COVID. Shocking. I was like, he is strong. And it took him. Have you lost your job? Have you lost friendships? I'm actually struck that if you're conservative, you've become more conservative. And if you're liberal, you become more liberal, right? 2020 just kind of highlighted what was already there for most of us. There are people who won't speak to you anymore, are there not? There are people you don't want to talk to, are they not? There are people who you looked at their Facebook, all Instagram, on their social media all year, and you're like, yeah, we're not friends with them anymore. Like, relationships are over. Some, some of you, we've spoken, and it is decades-long relationships. Some of you, family won't speak to you because you have a political persuasion. How about Dreams. Did you have dreams for 2021? Did you own a restaurant by chance? (laughs) Lost milestones. I think about eighth graders. I think about graduating seniors. I think about those looking forward to their first experience in high school as freshmen or in college as freshmen. I think about graduating from college. I think about all of these unmet expectations, these broken dreams, these milestones that were supposed to be huge. Did somebody you love die in the middle of COVID? Did you get married in the middle of COVID? I mean, these are not the way you planned these events. Like these are things that deserve to be felt and deserve to be faced. Otherwise you're going to shove them down and they're going to pop up like whack-a-mole later on when you yell at your family. Have you lost your retirement? How many of you lost holiday traditions? Have you lost access to people in hospitals or to those in homes that are struggling physically? Did you lose school? 
by the way? Are you not in person school? Are you stuck at home? You don't have your friends with you? Have you lost your sanity having your entire family and all of your kids in your home with you? Some of you legitimately lost your mental health and you broke. You hit, you hit the point and you broke. So here's what I'm, I'm trying to get through to you is that there are many people who have not been able to actually endure the blunt force of 2020. And it would be, it feels a little sort of ridiculous to say, let's go, when like some people are like, I'm just trying to get out of bed. Spiritually, like I have not talked to God in a very long time. Yes, I've been at home. Yes, I've had all the time in the world, but like I'm just not doing okay. You're assuming we're all baseline. And, and like actually what I'm, I'm finding is whether people realize that most people are not baseline. Most people have just shoved this stuff down. They're not dealing with it. And it's gonna come out in 2021. And if this year gets weirder or more worse, Like we need to make sure we are prepared for that. So here's a a simple overview. This is called a trauma roadmap. You can take a picture or something, but here's what happens in the trauma roadmap. You have a severe loss and then you have experienced trauma. This is where most people just stop. But there's a better way, which is number three, which is intentional lamenting. This is the biblical word for grief. In fact, there's an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations, and it is a response to the national tragedy that the Israelites experienced like many, 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 many centuries, a couple millennia ago. And then what you have is you have this idea of experienced healing. This is the slow journey to a new normal where your mind and your body and your soul, they actually start to work again. But I want to go back to this severe loss for a moment because I think this is important. You might have lost stability, safety, normalcy. Here's one innocence. There are some things that when you lose them, they are going to have an effect on you and you need to be able to identify those and call them what they are. When we look at intentional grieving or intentional lamenting, this is something that we do with Jesus. This is not something we do on our own, all by ourselves. This is something that we do on purpose. So Michael, this is church. Why are you talking? Why you spent 20 minutes talking about trauma? Open up your Bible. Let me just say a couple things. Number one, Jesus cares about you individually. And at any moment, no matter what you're going through, he loves you. He is engaged with you. He cares about you. And he is ministering to you personally through his spirit, through his word, and through the church and so many other ways. And if Jesus cares for you in those moments, I think I should care for you as well, and we should care for one another in those moments as well. And I have a sneaking suspicion. You've heard me say this. Uh, why are we talking about this? Because I have a hunch that 2021 may, may have some challenges lie, lying ahead of us. I am not a prophet. Let me be clear. I don't know what they are, and I'm not hinting at anything. I don't have some secret knowledge, as you know. I'm just watching the kind of trajectory of the news and life and saying, I think this is going to be an interesting year. Anybody agree on that one? It's going to be interesting. All right, Luke chapter 22. Jesus is experiencing and he is facing the emotional weight of the cross that he is about to endure. Most of you are never going to know the wrath of God. Praise God. You will never experience it. And Jesus is preparing his mind and his body and his soul to face and to endure the greatest outpouring of the wrath of God in human history. And he's going to do it on his body and his soul and his emotions. Verse 39, we're in the garden of Gethsemane. And he came out and he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. This was a place where he would go. He would go to pray. And the disciples followed him. So what I'm going to actually do is I'm going to read one of the verses, explain it. But I'm going to stop after each verse. I want you to notice whatever's about to happen. Jesus is allowing his disciples to go with him and to watch him. 
Verse 40 says, when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Why, why is Jesus saying for them to pray for themselves? Because here's simply why. They're about to face their greatest tests of faith. Like what they're about to go through is going to challenge them to the very core. All of their hopes and dreams have been placed in Jesus. He's about to be killed. And will they believe him and take him at his word that he's going to rise from the dead on the third day? And obviously, as you know the story, many of you, they all just fumble and they flail and they give up and they go back to their old jobs. There's like no expectancy. So he's like, pray for yourselves that you don't fall into temptation because you're about to experience one of the greatest tests of your life. In fact, what he knows is you're about to watch the man you love more than anyone else in the world be gruesomely executed in front of your face. Can we say traumatic event? Yes. So he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed. And I think what's important here is this distance. How far is this stone's throw? It's probably from here to the end of the room, maybe a little bit closer. But what the author is trying to tell you is the distance so that you can know how loud Jesus was praying. So the next verse, verse 42, tells us what he says. And, and if you're not slowing down, you're going to miss the, the, the reality of what's happening, the clues that Luke is giving you. He says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I, I think if we were to just read this alone, we'd be like, Father, he's whispering, maybe he's in his head. If you're willing. What you need to understand is that they are a, a stone's throw away and they're hearing this entire prayer. And I want to be, I want to be clear with you. Uh, this may be a, an interesting category for you to think in, but Jesus is literally at the breaking point. And it's not sin. Is there any sin in Jesus in any way, shape, or form? Ever. Nothing. Not even an ounce. Not even a moment. The human body has limitations, and Jesus, what he's about to endure, has reached the limitations of his human body. Verse 43, and this is a little bit unexpected. Most people aren't familiar with Luke's version of the Garden of Gethsemane. There appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. Now, interestingly enough, the angel did not come to defend him nor save him from what he's about to endure, but to strengthen him and give him encouragement. I, I just pondered this. I wonder what that looked like. So here's some options. Was it truth encouragement? Jesus, don't lose heart. Remember the why. There's no hope in the world without this. Remember this was your idea. You and the Father and the Spirit came up with this thing. Like, keep going, man. Maybe it's spiritual encouragement. Does the angel have some sort of power to brighten the soul of a person, possibly? Maybe it's physical encouragement. Maybe the angel brought Jesus food or water. Maybe it was all of the above. Here's what we know. Jesus is depleted. Verse 44, in case you're wondering if this is presumptuous, it goes on. And being in agony... He prayed more earnestly. In fact, we learn from the other gospels that he prayed three times, went before the Lord, the stones throw away, pleading with his father. And I think this is an incredible, beautiful uh, illustration for that Jesus is teaching us. First of all, it is good and holy to grieve. Second, grieving is not done alone. He does this with people before his heavenly father. And third, 
He's teaching these disciples that your heavenly father actually wants to hear all the parts of your life, the good, the bad, the ugly. Like your father is attentive to everything going on in your life. Now watch what happens in the rest of verse 44. His body now gives out. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So this is a dangerous condition known as, and I always, always mess this up, but <laughs> hema, hematidrosis. Did I get it? Did I get it, Connie? Julie? Yes. Hematidrosis. There we go. I can spell it. I can see it. Hematidrosis. This is blood in one's perspiration caused by extreme anguish or physical pain. Subcutaneous capillaries dilate, they burst, mingling blood and sweat. Uh, and Mark, here's what Jesus says. Mark 14, 34. This is Mark's account. Jesus says to the disciples, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. And as he says this, there is blood coming out of his sweat glands. So it's interesting because some people find it offensive that Jesus was experiencing some sort of trauma and his physical body got to a breaking point. But the, the Garden of Gethsemane is nothing short of the full humanity of Jesus on display. And never once in any picture of the humanity of Jesus is his deity ever diminished in any way, shape, or form. He is fully God and fully man who laid aside the privileges of deity and took on the limitations of the human body. And here in this moment, he is experiencing some of these limitations. Was Jesus immune to trauma? The answer is no. Can Jesus identify with your small t or big t trauma? And the answer is absolutely. Could we agree that the cross is a 10 out of 10 traumatic experience? Like, can we all be on the same page with that one? Like, there's probably nothing worse than the full weight of the wrath of God being poured out on your body, soul, and emotions when you're innocent, especially. <laughs> and it's your heavenly father. Now, turn with me in your Bibles to the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53. I want you to go back with me. I do want you to look at these words. If you do have a Bible in front of you, please open it up. I want you to see these words. I want you to actually, if you're willing to go back and just spend some time pondering Isaiah 53. Uh, if you've experienced at all anything in 2020 that maybe you've just shoved it under the rug, you haven't dealt with, right? Uh, this, is a, this is a really beautiful text. So we're gonna start in verse two. Uh, this is speaking of Jesus. This is a prophetic word, 700 years before the Messiah, before Jesus is born. It says, he grew up before him like a young plant. He's innocent and like a root out of dry ground, durable. He had no former majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He's generally unremarkable. So what happens to this unremarkable, innocent, durable plant? Verse 3 gives us just an insight into the general experience of his adulthood culminating in his crucifixion. He was despised. Jesus was rejected by men. And this is interesting because this is not simply referencing Jesus' experience on the cross. This is represent or referencing Jesus' general adult experience. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom, whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Now it, it moves up to the cross. Verse four, surely he has borne our griefs 
and surely he has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Now it is easy to make the cross exclusively and solely about sin and Jesus paying the price for your transgressions, infractions, sin, iniquities against God. And is that true? Did Jesus go to the cross to decisively deal with your sin and with my sin? On the count of three, everybody say yes. One, two, three. Yes. And something happened on the cross where it wasn't just the things that we did, but Jesus also went to the cross for the things done to us. It's tricky because when you place your faith in Christ, the Bible is just so clear. Your sins are forgiven legally. You are right with God. You are justified. You are forgiven. It is permanent. There's nothing you can do to undo it. And that is real. But do you still have sin in you? Did Jesus come to take away your sin? Yes. Then why do I still have sin? Did Jesus come to heal you and to bear your sorrows and your grief? Yes. Well, then why do I still have sorrow and grief? Because there's this interesting thing where on the one hand, like these things are real. They are pointing us to something in the future. And they're also pointing us on a trajectory that is really meaningful. Yes, you're legally forgiven, but you're still dealing with sin now. But I am going to be with you and I'm going to make you more and more into my image and likeness throughout the rest of your life until you're dead. Am I going to heal you of all of your grief and sorrows? When you get to heaven, will there be no pain and no sorrow forevermore, right? Yes. And right now you're still experiencing it, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be with you and I'm going to walk you through this and I'm going to help you find healing and new normals until the point where you are dead and then we will eradicate all sorrow, grief, weeping, tears from the face of the earth once and for all and forevermore. And so what Isaiah is doing with with pain and with grief and with sorrows is is very similar to what Jesus did with sin. He is making a declaration that our God is going to actually walk us through this and then bring us to the day where they are decisively done and gone forevermore at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to go to some so what's. Number one, I want to challenge you to grieve biblically. Now, you may be awesome. 2020 may have been the best year of your entire life. God bless you. You're in the minority. 2021 might be your year. Maybe not. It might be 2038. I don't know. So whether or not you are in this place, everybody needs to have a biblical understanding of what it means to grieve biblically so that inevitably when you find yourself with people who are breaking in front of you, overreacting, overcompensating, falling apart in front of you, which by the way is becoming more and more normal, you maybe have some categories that, okay, Like what they're experiencing, Jesus is with them. And I want to be a help and not a hindrance in this moment. For some of you, you're like stuffers. You shove this stuff down. You're like, I'm not dealing with it at all. I'm amazing. Well, maybe there's a better way. Jesus in John 11.35, shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus, what is it? Wept. Wept. Like this is not a small, like little trickle. Like it's actually a word that means weeping uncontrollably, sobbing loudly. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, Jesus himself says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Like actually lamenting or grieving or mourning, there's a blessing for those who engage it. So a couple 
things for you. Number one, Christians grieve something specific. This idea of general victimhood, where I don't really give vocabulary to what I'm grieving, that's not how we do this. When you have a broken bone, do you just be like, oh, my bones are broken? No. You identify which one it is, and you set a plan based on what specifically is broken and how bad it's broken. In the same way, this idea of generally like, ah, I'm just going to grieve everything, we are actually a disciplined, focused group of people. This is why actually making lists and writing things down is important. We serve a God who is a planner and a list maker. So I would encourage you to agree with God and document some of the things. But we grieve something specific. And even though this takes time to think through this, it's worth it. Number two, Christians always grieve with a trajectory. Our trajectory is hope and healing in Jesus. So this idea that when I intentionally go to God with my grief, with my losses, with the things that are now no longer going to happen because of something somebody else did or something that happened in my life, I go before the Lord and I go before the Lord with confident expectation that all the junk that I'm feeling, all the hopelessness, all the low emotions, I have confidence that Jesus is inevitably going to renew my soul. So I'm not going there to just ah, just throw it all out there. I'm actually going with intentionality because I'm going to the one who renews. Number three, Christians grieve with a plan. Get advice, read a book. Maybe you need professional counseling from a Christian that you trust doctrinally. And this is one of my favorite ones. We actually set time limits to our grief. Did you know that that's biblical? That um, the Jewish people would especially, they would grieve for periods of time and they would over, I would say, emote, if you will. They would get it all out. They would cry and scream and wail and heap dust on their heads and wear sackcloth and ashes, which is really uncomfortable. And, and what they would actually do is this whole process of setting time limits on things, and they would grieve with intentionality. Now, at the end of their time of grieving, is the pain gone? It's not the point. The point is that life still beckons us Grief is not a loop that we get stuck in forever and ever. We focus on it, and even though the pain is still with us, we ask God to give us the energy and the power to actually carry on with the life in front of us. And then we give God all glory. Whatever healing he does, we just reflect how good he has been to us, what, how beautiful of a healer Jesus is in our lives. Um, there was a, a time where I lost something very significant in my life. It was a grief that was deep. So what I had done, and I'd gotten some counsel, um, what I'd done is uh, I had asked a couple of friends, how long do you think I should really mourn the loss of this thing? And, and people said different things, and I chose a four-month period of mourning. Now, that doesn't mean I just was a bum and sat there and did nothing. Um, I actually had a hat, and I would wear the hat everywhere, and it was my mourning hat. And some people inevitably would come to me and say, why is Michael wearing that all the time? Or to my wife. And she'd be like, he's grieving. And they'd be like, what? <laughs> and, uh, but at the end of the four months, I went to Matt Soul's house and I uh, took this hat and I burned it in the fire. Was I still sad? Yep. Am I still sad? Yep. Uh, has Jesus brought really amazing renewal and healing in my life over the last 10 years? Yep. Has God been faithful? Yep. Does it still hurt? Yep. Is that going to come back and haunt me? Am I going to all of a sudden find like whack-a-mole? I push it down here and it pops up over here. 
I don't think so because I went through professional Christian counseling. I brought my friends before me. I set a regular time with the Lord. I documented my processes. I grieved intentionally. And it was one of the most healing periods of time in my life. Now, I'm a pastor. Pastors shouldn't be hurt. They shouldn't be sad. They shouldn't experience loss. All things are under God's control. I'm sorry. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're going through. Humans have limitations. And if Jesus can hit a breaking point, you and I can hit a breaking point. Now, again, some of you are like, Pastor Michael, I'm fine. Why are we talking about this? I'm amazing. Good. I'm so glad you are. You might not be. And I guarantee you people around you are not. Number two, so what? Let others wrestle. God is sovereign is so true but can also be one of the most dismissive things that we say. Psalm 56, 8, here's here's what the psalmist says. Talking to God, he's in pain. He says, you, God, have kept count of my tossings. Like you're watching every time I toss in bed, you're... You are, you are so aware, you can count how many times I've done it. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? If God cares, should you care if someone you love is struggling and wrestling and trying to figure out how to cope with this last year? Absolutely. What, what, what if what they're going through just seems so, so ridiculous and small to you? It might be. You might have an incredibly high durability ability, durable ability, whatever. Most people, we're just learning. They, they have not had the inherent durability to make it through this year okay. It doesn't mean they're the worst they can be. It just means that the most people are not working at baseline. So could I just free you for a moment? Can I give you some like, things that just like, take you off the hook of a couple things? Here's one. You can't fix anybody. Can I get a big amen on this one? Right? You can't save your kids. You can't fix your spouse. You can't fix anybody. So release yourself from that. If you try to fix them, you're probably going to break them a little bit more, to be honest. You can't make it right. Whatever was done, whatever happened, there's nothing anybody in this room is going to do that's going to make 2020 okay again. It is what it is. It's in the history books. It has happened. All that went with it, and then that individually in each one of your lives, it it has been its thing. But... You can make it harder or easier depending on how big of a jerk you are to people and how small you treat them and how trite you talk to them. Let me just free you. You cannot do what only Jesus can do. Like this is, by the way, the story of my preaching. I get up, I give words, I give God's word, explain some things, and I... Like, okay, God, that's all you. I cannot be Jesus. I can't be the spirit. I can only do the things he asked me to do. And that is my limitation. What happens after the words go into your ears and you and the spirit and your will work together out of my control completely. And I've got good news for you. You can't do the things only Jesus can do. Can you be the healer in someone's life? No way. Can you point them to the healer? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you encourage them? Listen, I just think you need to pause. Can we, can we just maybe listen to this message? Can we like, connect you to a, a Christian counselor? Can we have you sit down with a pastor? Can we just, something needs to shift here because whatever's going on internally, everything's rumbling around and it's just not okay. But I want you to know I'm, I'm okay with that. I just want to help you and I don't want to make it worse. So like, what can we do to point you to Jesus and get you the help that you need? Christians stink at trauma. I really think we can do better. Mostly, mostly by just talking less. <laughs> Number three, be hopeful. 
Spiritual healing is very real through Jesus. It's a very real thing. I have watched so many of you in this room be brought to the dumps. And I've watched Jesus intervene in your life and bring you renewal in your soul and bring you to a new normal. In fact, if you're ever just feeling in the dumps, start reading any of the Psalms. You're gonna watch King David and others just, they are at the lowest points of their life and they are publicly grieving. They're writing poetry and prayers to the Lord that the people of God are going to sing and to read. And the Lord does incredible, incredible things in their life. I am so excited for 2021. So it's actually, this is very counterintuitive for me to give a message like this going into 2021 because I have dreams. I have hopes. I'm so excited. I've never been more excited for the things I've seen, but I also want to be especially aware that I think there's a lot of us in this room who need to do a little bit of work if together as a church, we're going to stick this thing out and endure and thrive with whatever 2021 has. I'd encourage you when you go to your community groups, if you're not in one, jump one. If you're in a small group, a women's study, a men's study, whatever, jump into a group with people where maybe you can even begin to process some of these things. I think it's incredibly important because if you don't, I'm telling you, it's going to come back to you. And if you think you're amazing, just ask somebody you live with and let them affirm for you whether you are or are not. Isaiah 53, it doesn't just tell us about how, how Jesus carried our grief and our sorrow, but here's what verse five says. Jesus, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And I, I just made, I made a list from Isaiah 53 of everything Jesus did for us. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. On the cross, Jesus was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, chastised for our peace, wounded for our healing, oppressed, afflicted, stricken, crushed, grieved, in soul anguish, and lastly, but not least, in the middle of all of this, he made intercession for you and I, transgressors and sinners, that we might be reconciled back to God. So in a moment, we're going to celebrate communion. And I want to just encourage you, this is a moment to reflect upon what Jesus is offering you. He is offering you spiritual renewal if you've placed your faith in Jesus. And he has already given you forgiveness of your sins so that as you walk into 2021, you don't stand guilty and condemned before God, but he is with you and loves you and supports you. But you also know this, that he is committed to your spiritual renewal and healing. He has carried your sorrows and your griefs, and he stands with you to help you. And as we partake of these elements, these are just beautiful reminders as we go into this next year. Uh, there's a couple of just hospitality things we do in communion. Some of you are new here. You don't know whether you should partake with us. If you're new and you have trusted in Jesus, please partake of communion with us, even if you go to a different church. Um, there are kids in the room. We have some basic rules for moms and dads and kids. Um, here are the rules. Moms and dads, you have to be okay with your kids taking communion, and they need to have personally trusted in Jesus. If they have, you, mom and dad, are 
totally um, like encouraged to allow your children to partake of communion with us. Lastly, some of you are here, you are not believers in Jesus and you don't want to be disrespectful. If you have not trusted in Jesus personally, we just ask that you not partake of communion because to do that, to partake of it, is to declare that you have personally trusted in Jesus. And if that's not a place where you're at right now, um, we're just happy that you're here. Nobody will judge you or look down on you or probably even notice. But maybe today is the day that you know you need to personally trust in Jesus. And if that is you, here's what I want to challenge you to do. If you believe Jesus has died on the cross for your sins, was raised from the dead, if you believe that salvation is not through the accumulation of good works, but through trusting in Jesus who is good for you, if you believe those things and you're ready to trust in Christ, when we partake together in just a few minutes, I want to encourage you to partake and let that partaking be your personal declaration of your faith in Jesus. And if that's a decision that you want to make today, we would love to hear that, encourage you, help you take your next step with Jesus, whatever that might look like. Now, under your chairs, you have elements. And on the top of the element, feel free to grab those. Uh, there is a wafer and under is the juice. And what we're going to do is we're going to have a time of silence. When the silence is up, I'll read some scripture and then we're going to partake together these elements as a symbol of our unity in Jesus Christ. Let's have some time alone with the Lord.